Act Three of Sweet Lavender by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The third act. The scene is the same as before, but the time is a week later. Clement, looking weary and downhearted, comes from his bedroom. Clement, as he closes the door. Father, I shall be with you in half an hour. He takes up his hat, as Dick, improved in appearance, but without his coat, and wearing a housemaid's apron, and carrying a long carpet broom, a dustpan, and a hand broom, enters the room from the passage. Gang out, Clement, my boy. Why, what are you doing, Dick? I've had a fierce, a terrible altercation with Mrs. McCostridge, the new woman downstairs. Really a disgraceful row on her part, especially. She said if I hadn't been a man, she'd have struck me. Oh, what a change. Change? The house seems a hundred years older. Now Lavender is gone. Yes, and a thousand years dirtier. Now Ruth is gone. However, poor Miss Gilfinian and Minnie shan't be put about, and so I rise to the occasion. Placing the dustpan and hand broom on the sofa, and proceeding to turn up his shirt sleeves. I've an excellent notion of thorough housework, Clement, my boy. Dick, I'm ashamed of myself when I think what a splendid chap you've been all through this dreadful week. Peh! Don't talk to me, sir. I certainly did prepare Mrs. Gilfillian's and Minnie's breakfast this morning. I don't deny that. You! My dear Clem. A man who is on familiar terms with every grill in Fleet Street ought to know something about cucking. Resting his broom against the armchair, he takes up a covered dish from the table. I don't wish to put side on over a few paltry foolish kidneys, but... Raising the dish cover... Confound it! They haven't looked at them. Clement inspecting the dish with Dick. I'm afraid they have, Dick. Of course. Go on. Blame, blame. But praise, oh dear, no. He takes up the teapot and begins to sprinkle the tea leaves on the floor angrily. If you're going out, I'll not detain you. I'm nervous when watched. I have to meet Mr. Ma at half-past ten to hear the results of the meeting of the bank creditors at Barnchester yesterday. Oh. But the ship's hopelessly aground, Dick, and we shall never get her off again. Another bump or two and she breaks up. A few spars float out seaward in the shape of poor ruined depositors, and there's an end. And what an end! Driven on to the rocks by a couple of rows while the skipper is asleep below. There's a moral in it all, Dick. Dick, sprinkling the tea leaves. There is, Clement, my boy. The moral will possibly assume the curtain abbreviated form of sixpence in the pound. Ah, you're thinking of old Mr. Vipont's fortune, Dick. Your fortune. No, I'm not. Don't be so unjust, Clem. You'd have been a rich man. Clement, my boy, it would have been the ruin of me. There is an appropriateness about a poor vagabond, but a wealthy vagabond is an outrage to society. Society makes 40,000 excuses for 40,000 pounds. While it lasts. It wouldn't have lasted. It might have induced me to keep a cellar. Don't be sorry for me, Clem. Be sorry for yourself and your people, but not for a chap like me. Clement, wringing Dick's hand. Bless you, Dick. Dick continues sprinkling the tea leaves. I'll hurry back with the result of yesterday's meeting, good or bad. Clement goes to the outer door, where he pauses. I think the news will be a little better than you expect, Clement, my boy. Singing with a few steps of a dance. La dee diddle, la dee diddle, la dee diddle da. Clement returning. Oh, Dick! Dick checks himself suddenly and comes down, letting the tea run out of the spout of the teapot. Clement, my boy. Eh? Ah. Replacing the teapot on the table and taking up the broom. Clement taking a slip of paper from his waistcoat pocket. I think you ought to know that I'm going to leave this at the newspaper office for insertion in tomorrow's paper. Reading. 
Sweet lavender. Showing him the paper. See, Dick? The first and last letters. All the rest stars. Very ingenious. Clement, reading. R.P. I venture to use your initials, old fellow. R.P. entreats his old friend and her daughter to communicate with him without delay. R.P. is distracted at their absence. Dick, dubiously taking up the long broom. R.P. I make you figure in it, Dick, to avoid distressing Mr. Wedderburn while he's ill. You see, nobody can possibly object to your being distracted. No, no, certainly not. Whereas my poor Levy will understand, if ever she sees this, that it's I who am suffering. You don't mind, Dick? My boy, delighted. Clement, producing Lavender's letter. I read her letter every hour of the day. To think that she imagined my love burnt so feebly that time or trouble could blow it out. Dick, sweeping uncomfortably. Uh-huh. But it's so unlike her, Dick. I feel sure the confounded worldly philosophy was crammed into her dear little head by others. Dick, sweeping wildly. Oh. My aunt declares it is all Mrs. Rolt's doing. Returning the letter to his pocket fiercely. I hope so, for if I ever find out to the contrary... Dick sweeps up against Clement violently. Confound you, Dick! What are you doing? You're hindering me. You're delaying the housework. Go out. Don't be angry with me. I'm going. Clement goes out. Dick wiping his forehead. Phew. When he breaks out like that, I... I always break out like this. If he only suspected that I assisted at the cramming of the philosophy. Mr. Bulger comes from Clement's room, carrying shaving paraphernalia. Good morning, Mr. Fennel. I rather fancy as Mr. Wedderburn is a trifle better this morning. He demanded to be shaved up, sir. Always a sign of vitality in a gentleman. He goes to the door of Dick's bedroom and has his hand on the handle when Dick starts up with a cry of horror. Where are you going? Come back. Good gracious, sir. I understood I was to go over Mr. Ale's chin. I'll perry soon me sharing your room. Oh, Lord, Bulger, while Mr. Wedderburn is here nursed by his relatives, Mr. Hale and I billet ourselves at Chorley's Hotel in Surrey Street. We've handed that room over to Mrs. Gilfillian and her daughter. You should be more careful, Bulger. I'm extremely sorry. Though, at the worst, I dare say as an old family man, I could have passed it off with a pleasantry. There is a rat-tat at the outer door. The doctor, I know. I'll go, sir. No news of Mrs. Roll, Mr. Fennel? Dick, taking off his apron and putting on his coat. No, Bulger. Ah. Uh... Bulger opens the door and admits Dr. Delaney, then goes out. Dr. Delaney, as he enters... Thank ye, thank ye. Shaking hands with Dick. It's Mr. Fennel. And how's our friend Wedderburn this delightful morning? Um, pretty well for a man who appears to grow a year older every day. You don't say that. I do. It seems to me, Dr. Delaney, that your patient is ageing on the tobogganing principle. Ah, hmm. But the ladies, Doctor, they come out gloriously. Bless them, they always do. I wouldn't have believed it of Aunt Mrs. Gilfillian, but she seems to have bought the goodwill and fixtures of the business formerly carried on by Miss Nightingale. My dear Mr. Fennel, all ladies are alike when trouble takes their hair a little out of curl. It's vanity and self-consciousness that spoil a woman, sir. But when once, she says to herself, I don't care a pin how I look. Heaven takes care that she shall look like an angel. However, that's no business of mine. Elsie Wedderburn. Oh, Dr. Delaney. What is it? Do you observe any marked improvements in me? Ah, I'm forgetting you entirely. Feeling Dick's pulse. What news? 
Not a drop for seven days. That's a fearful drought, eh? I hesitate even at gravy. And how do you feel? A little weak, Doctor. A little diluted. But I'm firm. Ah, you do very well. Mind now, don't think about it. And take plenty of exercise. Delaney raps at the door leading to Clement's room, then opens it and goes out. Exercise. Removing his coat, then seizing his broom and sweeping violently. Exercise. Wiping his brow again. Phew, this is rather dry and dusty for my complaint. Sweeping. But it's exercise. Minnie, dressed and simply wearing a pretty white apron, comes from Dick's room. Oh, Mr. Fennel, what are you doing? Dick, panting. <sighs> Making up Dr. Delaney's prescription. Please return to your room for a quarter of an hour, Miss Gilfillian. Minnie, retreating. Oh, the dust! Taking up the hand broom and dustpan from the sofa. And look here! Dick sweeps again. Mrs. Gilfillian, plainly dressed and without her curls, comes from Clement's room. Mercy on us! What's this? She throws open the window. <laughs> Mr. Fennel is sweeping, Mamma. Sweeping? Where is that woman, MacOstridge? I regret to say that Mrs. MacOstridge is in a condition of matutinal inebriation. Oh, how horrible. Oh, Ma, how shocking. Ah, ladies, it is far more shocking to one who may claim some affinity with the misguided person now occupying the basement. Um. Oh, Mr. Fennel. To herself. Poor man. But this isn't sweeping, Mr. Fennel. This is stirring up. Nay, Miss Gilfinian, it is sweeping. It is a shamefaced effort to sweep away a peculiarly useless and discreditable career. It is also an attempt to throw dust in the eyes of two good-natured ladies, that being the only method by which I can hope to obtain their good opinion. Bless the man. Take his broom away, Minnie. Take his broom away. Minnie takes the broom from Dick and goes out with it. I wonder if I can guess what you allude to, Mr. Fennel. Dick, resuming his coat. Ahem, uh -huh. I'll allow you three guesses, ma'am. On the night we heard of our misfortune, we saw you rather at a disadvantage. A done first time. I suppose I presented a shocking spectacle. Hmm. Well, that's a week ago, Mr. Fennel. Now, Rome wasn't built in a day. But you can make a new man out of unpromising material in a week. And a new woman, too, sometimes. Mr. Fennel, I'm not the woman I was a week ago, am I? Well... Am I, sir? No. I'm sure I'm not. Now I've lost all my money by the failure of the Barchester Bank, but somehow I've felt in a kinder temper the last week than I have for years. So I think, Mr. Fennel, to some natures, even bankruptcy may be a blessing. Well, they both begin with a B. As for you, my poor brother likes you. Says you read the paper to him so intelligently. Holding out her hand to him. And I like you. There, sir. Dick, taking her hand gratefully. My dear aunt, I beg your pardon, my dear Mrs. Gilfillian. Minnie enters, carrying two dusters. So we'll forget a week ago, Mr. Fennel, for good. And if at any time you feel you want a cup of cocoa, I know an old nurse who'll make it for you. Taking a duster from Minnie. Come, child. Let's get rid of some of Mr. Fennel's dust. Dick to himself. Aunt. Who'd have thought it's aunt? There is a rat-tat-tat at the outer door. Mrs. Gilfillian in whisper. We're not visible, Mr. Fennel, to anybody. Dick going. No, certainly not. We're out, Mr. Fennel, shopping. Dick drawing the curtain over the opening. I should rather think you were. Hush! Dick disappears behind the curtain and opens the door, while Mrs. Gilfillian and Minnie stand listening. Dick at the door. 
How do you do? How do you do? Who is it? Dick, out of sight. No, went out shopping about ten minutes ago. I don't know. You will find them both in the low arcade. Oh. The curtain is pushed aside, and Horace Bream enters. Horace, as he enters, Smoke a cigar with you, Mr. Fennel, till they return. Oh! Minnie throws away her duster. Horace, seizing their hands, My dear Mrs. Gilfillian, my dear Miss Gilfillian. Dick returns much discomposed, gesticulating to Mrs. Gilfillian and Minnie, helplessly. Would come in? I am perfectly delighted to find that my friend Fennel was mistaken. I'm much earlier today than usual. Minnie, embarrassed, shakes her head at Horace. Earlier than usual. Horace, not seeing Minnie's signs. Yes, I invariably call to inquire after Mr. Wedderburn during the afternoon. Minnie, turning away. Oh! I shall be here again this afternoon. I haven't heard of your calling at all. Oh, yes, Mamma. Mr. Bream has made the usual inquiries during the week, generally while you have been resting. His cards are somewhere. Oh, yes. My cards are somewhere. Dr. Delaney enters. Mrs. Gilfillian, angrily to herself at Horace. Oh, this man. She goes to Delaney, and they talk together. Minnie, eyeing Horace. Oh, now he knows that Mamma didn't know. To Horace with dignity. I hope, Mr. Breen, that you will forgive Mr. Fennel's lack of candour in telling you that Mamma and I were out shopping. Dick, to himself. Oh. Perhaps it would have been better if he had explained that we don't receive visitors at this time of trouble and anxiety. I... why you... I mean... There now. Why, Minnie? She draws herself up and looks frowningly. Miss Gilfillian, I never suspected that the happy hour we have passed together every afternoon this week has been on my part an intrusion, and on yours a... Oh, I... I've made every excuse for you, knowing that you're an American. In trying to avoid formality, perhaps I've been a little... a little... a little... Well... A little. Dr. Delaney comes over to Minnie. Quietly to Minnie. I've a word or two to say to Mr. Fennel. I don't want your dear mother to hear. Minnie nods to Dr. Delaney and goes to where Mrs. Gilfillian is sitting. Horace, following, taps Dick on the shoulder. Mr. Fennel. Eh? Dr. Delaney, bending over him. I fancy there's something worrying Mr. Wedderburn. Well, I should think so. What is it? Sixpence in the pound. Ah, oh, I mean something not connected with dividends at all. Drawing Dick a little nearer. Mr. Fennel, I hear that Wedderburn has been rambling a little about the woman who used to live downstairs, talking about her in his sleep. Oh, I dare say, this boy is in love with her daughter, and that troubles him. So Mrs. Gilfillian explains. But, Mr. Fennel, doesn't it strike you as rather odd that Mr. Wedderburn should dream less of his bankruptcy than at a woman whom I hear he happened to meet in this room a week ago, and who disappeared immediately afterwards? Eh? Why, what? Be quiet! Mrs. Gilfillian, rising. Minnie, I mustn't waste my time any longer. Dr. Delaney, turning to the others. One moment! One moment. I've got another patient here. Mr. Fennel has as much right to be ill as any of ye. Dick, to himself. What's he driving at? Mrs. Gilfillian, Minnie, and Horace continue talking. No, me dear Mr. Fennel, you have been acquainted with this Mrs. Rote for many years. Do you know her history, sir? No, yes, a, a small portion of it. Thank ye. The small portion of a woman's history which she confides to another is generally the index. No, may I ask, if the index in your possession goes down to the letter W. Dick, sinking into the armchair with his hand to his forehead. Wedderburn, 
Good gracious. The possibility never struck me. Oh. But you perceive the possibility. Don't pump me, Dr. Delaney, please. Confound it. You wouldn't ask me to betray a woman's confidence by even a hint. Not for all the world. Taking Dick's hand. Besides, after all, perhaps this is no business of mine. Good morning, Mr. Fennel. To himself as he takes up his hat. No, if my theory is correct, I wonder if I could contrive to do a little good to a miserable man and an unhappy woman by a bold stroke. I'm inclined for the experiment. Mrs. Gilfillian. Yes, Doctor. Dr. Delaney, taking her hand. I've been thinking I shall have you and your pretty daughter and my hands if I don't take better care of ye. There, there. Minnie shall go into the park every afternoon. Yes, and Minnie's mamma too. And so I've arranged to send ye one of the dear good ladies from my beautiful new home. Now, Dr. Delaney, I've told you. Ah, no. Just to enable you to get the amount of fresh air which every woman in her prime requires. Well, do as you like, Doctor. Dr. Delaney, shaking hands. I'll do that. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Mrs. Gilfillian, going to Dick. But your nurse won't get a very cordial reception here, I'm afraid. Dr. Delaney, to himself. No, that's just the point I'm a little curious about. He bustles out. I'll go to a registry office at once and hire a handy girl, if there's one in London. I won't have that degraded woman, Mac Ostrich, in these rooms again. Turning sharply, she sees Minnie and Horace close together. Minnie! Horace leaves Minnie quickly and thrusts himself half out of the window. Mama? When Mr. Bream has terminated his visit, perhaps in this hour of emergency you will remember there is such a place as the pantry. Mrs. Gilfillian goes into Dick's room, which she is now occupying. Minnie looks towards Horace, whose body is half out of the window, then at Dick, then at her hands. Washing up is awfully trying for one's hands. I'll help, shall I? What a good-natured man you are, Mr. Fennel. I'm so sorry I scolded you. Delighted. But it was quite necessary to read Mr. Bream a lesson. Oh, quite. But I couldn't think of allowing you to assist to wash up. I've got to be domesticated now, and I'd better begin at the degrading part. Well, look here. Let's halve it. One of us will wash, the other will wipe. Minnie, glancing towards Horace, abstractedly. It's very thoughtful of you. Not at all. I take it for exercise. But mind, I'm only an amateur. Not letting anything drop is the great secret. Which will you do, wash or wipe? I'll do the wettest. That is, the wetter of the two. You are good-natured, but both are equally unpleasant. Let's flutter for who does which. Flutter? Toss a coin. Minnie glancing towards Horace with dignity. Oh no, thank you, I couldn't do that. Seeing Horace is still leaning out of the window. Be quick, I don't mind. Dick producing a penny. Now then, Britannia washes and the Queen wipes. Throwing up a coin and catching it smartly to himself. I'm really very much better. To Minnie. Miss Gilfillian, sudden death, you cry? What? Sudden death, you cry. Oh, how unkind of you to suggest such things when Uncle Geoffrey is so unwell. You misunderstand me. I mean, you guess heads or tails. Oh, head, please. Dick, referring to his coin. Woman, you wash. The other is a little drier. Very well, just as you like. You are a good-natured man. Looking towards Horace. Mr. Bream is oblivious of everybody's existence. Dick knowingly. Doesn't know that aunt, that Mrs. Gilfillian, has gone. Mr. Fennel. I didn't tell tales about you, did I? Really, Mr. Fennel, I wish you wouldn't make such inferences. I won't trouble you, thank you. She goes out indignantly. Dick calling after her penitently. 
I beg your pardon, Miss Gilfillian? Disconsolately. I'm always putting my foot in it. Snatching up a ball of wool from the work-basket on the table and hurling it at Horace's back. It's his fault. Following Minnie. Miss Gilfillian. Dick goes out. Horace leaves the window and picks up the ball of wool. Hello. Why, she must have thrown this. Ah, how playful she is at times. I bear no ill will toward Mrs. Gilfillian, but what a gay, high-spirited girl Minnie would be if she were a thoroughly qualified orphan. Looking round. I guess she is hiding around here somewhere. Minnie appears in the passage opening, wiping a cup. She peeps into the room and comes face to face with Horace. Horace, triumphantly holding up the ball of wool. Ha-ha! You imagined I didn't see you throw this, but I did. Minnie, coldly. I, really, Mr. Bream, excuse me, I'm occupied in the pantry. May I join you in the pantry? Oh, no, certainly not. But if you wait here, Mamma won't be long. She retires, drawing the curtain over the opening in Horace's face. Horace, angrily. Mama, Mama, I am becoming desperate. I can't sleep, I can't eat. I can't live on anything but hope, and this girl is just starving me. Sitting disconsolately and looking up as Minnie draws aside the curtain and enters. Ah, excuse me, I've come to fetch something. He rises. She goes right round the room to the table. Minnie! Mr. Bream? She takes up the tray with the breakfast things, and he intercepts her. I think you are the cruelest girl in this old country. When one meets reverses and becomes poor, one must expect to lose the good opinion of friends. Horace taking the other side of the tray and holding it with his hands over hers. I don't call myself a friend, Minnie. Indeed. Of course one doesn't know who are one's friends. Oh, you are hurting my hands, Mr. Bream. You have never permitted me to be a friend. But you know perfectly well I am a... An acquaintance. No, a lover. Mr. Bream, sir! I repeat, a lover, a lover, a lover. There, I've said it. Having said it, will you allow me to carry out the tray? Permit me? He takes the tray and places it on the table. She passes him and is going out when he turns quickly and, taking her hand, draws her back into the room. That's not fair. You must say yes today, or I... Or you start for New York next Saturday, I know. You were going to start for New York next Saturday when we first met you, months ago, if you remember. Remember? My heart keeps a diary in red ink. Why don't you like me, Minnie? How unjust! I like you as much as I can ever like any foreigner. Foreigner? I am essentially English, you know. Oh, yes. The Wedderburns were originally Scotch, I believe. Yes, I know, but... And your father was an Irishman. I know, certainly, but... But you're essentially English. Ah, don't make this an international question. If you marry me, I'll wear Scotch tweed, and you'll never find out the difference between... Oh, thank you. I'm deeply sensible of the honour you pay me, but I really could not marry an American. Why? You don't mind flirting with one? Oh! You know you're a very different girl on the stairs while your mother is asleep on this sofa. And this is my reward for not disturbing Mamma. Only an American would throw stares in a girl's face. Miss Gilfillian, you are like the typical English gentleman who says, Give me a homemade watch. Nobody does give it to him, but he pays sixty guineas for one, has his crest carved on it, and is borne down on one side with the weight of it for years. When it is not being cleaned, it enables him to lose his train. At last it is stolen from him in the crowd. So he swears a little, buys a cheap American timepiece, and lives happily. Miss Gilfillian, perhaps some day when you have won and worn your homemade husband, you'll give a thought to the cheap but reliable American who has now the honour to wish you good-bye. I... I shall not say good-bye or anything after such unkindness to... to... 
to be called a flirt? A flirt? Oh dear, it's so hard. She takes up the tray from the table and backs towards Horace, who suddenly puts his arm round her waist. Ah, forgive me. Forgive you? After such a cruel charge? Remove your arm, Mr. Bream! Horace, clasping her to him. I can't, Minnie, I can't. And you know I can't drop the tray. Struggling slightly. Oh, how un-English! Mr. Fennel? Dick outside. Yes? Dick enters, wiping a plate, and Horace retreats hastily. Take this, dear Mr. Fennel. Dick taking the tray. With pleasure. Minnie looks indignantly at Horace. Mrs. Gilfillian enters, dressed for going out. Looking from one to the other. Minnie! I, I'm teaching Mr. Fennel how to wash up, Mamma. Dick to himself. Oh, I like that. Dick carries out the tray. Mrs. Gilfillian to herself. That young man still here. To Horace. Mr. Bream, I shall be much obliged if you'll give me your arm across the strand. Certainly. It will be the last opportunity I shall have of rendering you even so slight a service. Minnie turns, listening. Indeed. I start for New York on Wednesday. Minnie gives a stifled exclamation. We're very sorry, though perhaps you have been wasting your time rather sadly. That notion has just struck me. Please say farewell for me to everybody. Minnie looks at him wistfully. And tell Mr. Wedderburn that I have called every day this past week. Looking at Minnie. Solely to inquire after him. Minnie retreats to the window seat. Mrs. Gilfillian, dubiously. Um, I'm quite ready, Mr. Bream. She goes out. Horace, bowing profoundly to Minnie. Goodbye, Miss Gilfillian. She rises with downcast eyes and makes him a stately curtsy. Goodbye, Mr. Bream. She resumes her seat, looking out of the window. He goes to the door. Horace to Dick, shaking hands. Goodbye, Mr. Fennel. Shan't see you again on this side, sir. He follows Mrs. Gilfillian. Dick closes the door after them. Oh, I didn't mean it! I didn't mean it! Oh, come back, Horace! Horace! She sits at the writing table and writes rapidly. Dick comes into the room, polishing a teaspoon. Dick, eyeing Minnie. A nice girl, but I am both washing and wiping. Minnie, writing. Never start for New York without me, Horace. Rising with the note in her hand. Give me something heavy to weight this. Snatching the spoon from Dick. That'll do. Eh? She screws up the spoon in the paper and runs up to the window. Minnie looking out of the window. Ah, Horace! Horace! She throws out the spoon and paper. Dick to himself. That spoon belongs to my poor mother. Minnie, withdrawing from the window hastily. Oh, Mamma's got it. Uh, glad to hear it. Oh, Mr. Fennel, run after Mr. Bream. Dick, catching up his hat. Certainly. Giving her the cloth he carries. You go on with the wiping. What shall I say? Say I want him to inquire after Uncle Geoffrey as usual. Dick opening the door. I know. Half past three on the landing. No, no. Mr. Fennel, how dare you? Dick returns, leaving the door open. You needn't go, thank you. Returning to the window seat. I won't humble myself. I won't. Lavender appears outside the room. She peeps in and comes into the room, and seeing Dick, utters a cry and advances to him. Mr. Fennel! Dick, embracing her. Lavy! Why, Lavy, where have you come from? Where are you going to? What are you doing? Where's your mother? Why don't you answer me? Lavy, here, what? Oh, uh, ooh. Minnie, coming from the window. Lavender! 
Lavender going to her. Oh, Miss Gilfillian! Miss Gilfillian! Minnie taking Lavender in her arms to Dick. Shut the door! Dick goes to the door and closes it. Minnie places Lavender in the armchair and removes her hat. Oh, poor Clement! How happy he will be! How happy he will be! Dick returning breathlessly. I have to put a question to you, Lavi. Where have you come from? Where are you? Oh, hush, Mr. Fennel. Lavender will tell me. Where have you come from, dear? My question. I've come from Miss Morrison's school at Highgate, where Mother took me when we left here. I... I've run away, Miss Gilfillian. Run away? Hush, Mr. Fennel. Yes, but run away. Be quiet. Run away. Hush. Well, but run away. That's pretty serious. I've seen a newspaper with something in it about a great misfortune happening to Mr. Wedderburn's bank, and how his partners have cheated and ruined him. And I know that if Mr. Wedderburn is poor, Mr. Hale is poor, and I can't rest till I found out if it's true. Is Mr. Hale poor, Miss Gilfillian? Yes, we're all poor now, Lavvy. Oh, Clement! Even I do the work your little hands used to do. I wash up. Hush, Mr. Fennel, please. Why didn't you drop a line to me quietly, Lavvy? There'll be an awful trouble over this. I began a letter to Clement yesterday, and the girl who lent me the paper and the envelope told Miss Morrison, who scolded me dreadfully. But I got out of the house. If it had been a prison, Miss Gilfillian, I should have got out, now that Mr. Hale is in trouble. Here's a pretty kettle of fish. You know you'll have to be sent back, Lavvy. Nothing of the kind. I'll go back when I've seen him for five minutes. Mr. Fennel, you're positively heartless. Heartless? I heartless? You don't know what I know. I mean, I'm a man. You're a couple of girls. A girl and a half, I may say. With his hand to his head. Oh, where's Ruth's secret going to now? I admire your spirit, Lavender, if Mr. Fennel doesn't. Ah, I've no spirit at all, Miss Gilfillian. Minnie takes her in her arms and caresses her. But Mother hid me away because I was too poor and humble for Mr. Hale, and so I was a week ago. But now everything's changed, and it would be dreadful if he said to himself, Lavender was taken away from me because I was rich, yet she can't find her own way back now that I'm in need. Clem shall hear that from your lips within an hour. No, he shan't. He shall, Mr. Fennel. Why, Mr. Fennel, you used not to be unkind to me. N no, Lavvy, but neither of us is your mother. We must always consult our mothers. Minnie, glaring at Dick. Where is your mother, Lavvy? Dick, glaring back at Minnie. Another of my questions. I mustn't tell anybody. I've promised. Very well. All you require in this matter is a friend. Dick, putting his arm round Lavender. I quite agree with you, Miss Kilfillian. A friend. Minnie, putting her arm round Lavender. A protector. Yes, someone who wasn't born two or three weeks ago. I'm of age. Well, look at me. But you're not a woman. As it happens, as it happens. A gong bell is heard striking twice. Minnie to Dick triumphantly. Aha! Uncle Wedderburn's bell, twice. It's for you to read the newspaper. Lavender, frightened. Is Mr. Wedderburn here? Yes, we're all here. Run along, Mr. Fennel. Miss Gilfillian, you will regret this interference. Minnie, with her arm round Lavender's waist, saucily. Regret is a woman's natural food, Mr. Fennel. She thrives on it. Till it becomes remorse, Miss Gilfillian. Which is only a mild form of indigestion. Oh! He goes into Clement's room. Minnie, triumphantly. Ha-ha! <laughs> assisting Lavender to put on her hat. 
now for poor clem oh yes where is he gone to the lawyer's we'll run out and meet him on his way home and then we'll sit down in the gardens what makes you so kind a fellow feeling i'm unhappy in my love too lavender putting her arms round minnie's neck oh tell me he's mr bream i said no to him and he believed me in a foolish american way he has oh we ought always to speak the truth why directly clement asked me i said yes well lavvy at a big dinner the sweets are always brought round twice and i thought i thought i'm a wretched girl don't cry don't cry i forgot that if the sweets do come round again other ladies have been digging spoons in is he far away yes he's in the strand now let's go after him with clement but wouldn't that look as if yes it would rather look as if oh then i couldn't yes but if we met him we could walk past minnie hugging lavender oh you darling i'm so fond of you the door of clement's room opens and geoffrey wedderburn enters followed by dick carrying some books and newspapers under his arm wedderburn looks much older than before his hair being grey and his voice and manner feeble minnie to lavender uncle geoffrey lavender clinging to minnie oh dick to himself oh dear dick waves the girls away wedderburn walks slowly wedderburn seeing minnie ah minnie my dear minnie going to him why uncle wedderburn patting her cheek ah i can't submit to be nursed and cosseted any longer i i shall go down to barnchester tomorrow to face the people and and to see about other things seeing lavender who's that young lady my dear minnie bringing lavender forward this is a friend of mine uncle wedderburn holds out his hand lavender puts her hand in his timidly i'm very glad to see minnie's friend lavender with a curtsy thank you sir i've been rather ill my dear but the doctor says i may go out into the gardens while the sun is out will you walk on one side of me with minnie on the other i-i would sir if my mother would let me your mamma will let you if she's a kind mamma if not i shall have to put up with mr richard dick assists wedderburn into the armchair wedderburn gratefully to dick and mr richard's a dreadful fellow such a bear aren't you richard eh minnie in a whisper to lavender pointing to the door of dick's room that's my room now come with me the two girls go out quietly dick to himself looking after minnie and lavender girls will do anything i begin to have a better opinion of myself now i've mixed more with girls now then mr richard dick taking up a newspaper what do you have sir anything referring to the failure of wedderburn's bank dick opening the paper uncomfortably to himself ahem uh, this daily invention of favourable comments on wedderburn's neglect of his business rather taxes my imagination ready sir yes yes mr richard <clears throat> to himself hello here is a short leader reading it will not be difficult to find an excuse for mr wedderburn's ignorance of the affairs of the bank ah that's good that's just dick to himself it will be difficult they say here wonderful what a word does there is a rat-tat-tat at the outer door dick laying down the paper excuse me wedderburn to himself 
It will not be difficult to find an excuse for Mr. Wedderburn. An excuse for Mr. Wedderburn. Dick opens the door. Dr. Delaney and Ruth, dressed as a nurse but failed, are outside. Thank ye, Mr. Fiddle. Thank ye. Cheerily pointing to Wedderburn. Come now, look at that. That's the sort of constitution that's the ruin of my profession. Dick closes the door. Ruth touches his arm. Mr. Fennel. Ruth. Wedderburn, I brought ye a lady from my new home, just as a companion for your sister and Minnie. I've told ye about my beautiful home. Thank you, Delaney, but I'm quite strong now. I know that. But it's you strong chaps that require looking after. Think of the ladies. They're getting as white as the ceiling. And poor Mr. Fennel, who's hoarse with reading aloud to you. Mr. Fennel? Beckoning to Dick. Wedderburn feebly to Ruth. I hope I wasn't discourteous, ma'am. Everyone is very good to me. Very good to me. Mr. Wedderburn. Wedderburn starts and looks up. Who is it? Ruth. Ruth? Ruth? I am the nurse that Dr. Delaney speaks of. Do you wish me to remain, Mr. Wedderburn? Wedderburn, with an effort. Yes, Ruth. He sinks back into his chair, staring forward. She removes her bonnet and cloak. Dr. Delaney, softly to Dick. That's all right. Aloud. I'll be with you again in ten minutes, Wedderburn. Nudging Dick. A delicate but successful experiment. Come, I'll tell ye how I put the pieces of the puzzle together. Dick and Delaney go into the other room. If Mr. Fennel was reading to you, shall I take his place? Wedderburn, passing his hand across his brow. You are merciful to me, Ruth. You come to me when I am ill, broken, in misfortune. It is my calling now to soften pain, to try to banish suffering. But I, I ruined your life for you. Do you forget that? No, I remember it. A week ago I had every reason to fly from this house, where I had lived undisturbed and peacefully for so many years, but when the good doctor told me you were lying here, stricken down, I remembered. I remembered. Covering her face with her hands. Ruth, my girl. Ruth, recovering herself and laying her hand upon his arm. <sighs> I am forgetting why I am here. The doctor will scold me. For what? For helping to ease my heart? Ruth, I have suffered. I have stared the world in the face as if I were an honest man, and bragged of my shrewdness and hard common sense. I have only been playing a loud tune to drown my conscience. I... I have suffered. Hush, Mr. Wedderburn, hush. Not now. Ruth, I have never forgotten the woman I betrayed and broke my promise to eighteen years since. I have never forgotten the time when you asked me if I was ashamed of the poor girl who hung upon my arm in the lanes about Barnchester, and the answer I gave you. Your look of shame and reproach as you left me has been always with me, and it was the ghost of that look which struck me down here a week ago. Burying his face in his handkerchief, You've been too hard upon yourself, Mr. Wedderburn. You were right. I was not a fit wife for you. And now we are growing old. Forget it and suffer no more. She breaks down and leans her head upon the back of the chair, weeping. But why talk of my sufferings, Ruth? What have yours been? Less than I deserved. Because you know, sir... Heaven had mercy upon me and consoled me. Ah, I remember. They call you Mrs. Rolt here. 
You were Ruth Rawdon at Barnchester. You are a widow, with a daughter whom Clement has become attached to. I remember. She goes back a step or two, staring at him. Mr. Wedderburn, I am not a widow. I have never married. Never married. Oh, Mr. Wedderburn, I call myself a widow to keep my child ignorant of my disgrace. It would kill me for her to know. But Lavender is more than seventeen years old. Wedderburn, repeating the words to himself, More than seventeen years old? Looks at her for a moment, then stretching out his arms appealingly. Ruth, Ruth, tell me. She slowly sinks on her knees beside him. Geoffrey, I thought you guessed I had been faithful to my first love. I took my secret with me from Barnchester because I was too proud to beg for compassion. But when you found mother and child here, you might have guessed the truth. Turning away, weeping. Oh, how lightly you've always thought of me. Wedderburn, taking her hand. Ruth, I am utterly bankrupt. I have lost strength, fortune, comfort, all that makes age endurable. But what I've lost now is little compared to what I flung away eighteen years ago. The love of a faithful woman. Lavender enters with Minnie, both dressed for going out. Lavender? Lavender? going to ruth mother dear mother don't be angry with me mother wedderburn in a whisper to himself sinking into the armchair my child clement enters hurriedly minnie running up to him clement look here lavender goes to clement and clings to him lavender mrs rolt ah oh, clement Dick and Dr. Delaney enter. Mother, I read that Mr. Hale had become poor, and I came here this morning to ask if it was true. It is true. There's no reason for separating us now. Clement, no one shall take me away again if you wish me to stay. I'll be poor with you. I'll share all your struggles. I'll slave for you. I'll be a true, patient companion. And if ever you're rich again and tire of me, as they say you will, I'll remember the days when you loved me and won't complain. I promise. Mother, you mustn't treat me as a child any longer. I'm a woman. I can't go back to Miss Morrison's. I won't. Clement, keep me with you. Keep me with you. Keep me with you. There is a knock at the door. Clement putting his arm round her. Forever, Lavender. Forever. Father, you hear? Father! Lavender sits in the window recess with Clement, and they are joined by Dick and Dr. Delaney. There is another knock at the door. Minnie opens it, and Mrs. Gilfillian enters, followed by Horace. Mamma! Oh, look here! Mrs. Rolt! Minnie, seeing Horace. Oh, Horace! Horace! She embraces Horace impulsively. Good gracious me! Why, Mrs. Rold, you're surely not the nurse Dr. Delaney promised us. Dr. Delaney, going to Mrs. Gilfillian and taking her hands. Me dear lady, with the acuteness which is your characteristic, you've hit it. Mrs. Rold came into my beautiful home a week ago. She didn't wish it known, and it was no business of mine to divulge it. But when I wanted to preserve the roses in your own cheeks, ma'am, it was Mrs. Rolt who volunteered to help in a work for which all humanity should be grateful. Mrs. Gilfillian to Ruth, shaking hands with her. Well, I'm sure I'm much obliged to Mrs. Rolt. Looking round and discovering Lavender. Why, here's your daughter. Oh, yes, ma'am. We allow beautiful flowers in the sick-room pointing to the window. If you keep the window open. I... I did my best. Lavender has been away at school. But the poor little thing chirrups for her mother, 
Hen and chick, ma'am. Hmm, and she follows you here. A coincidence. Dr. Delaney, stroking his chin. Coincidences occur in the best regulated families. The most delightful part of this one is that Mrs. Rolt happens to be an old acquaintance of Mr. Wedderburn's. Old, old acquaintance? Yes, Clara, an old acquaintance. He rises, supporting himself upon Ruth's arm. Clement, Lavender. My secret, my secret, you'll not... Clement and Lavender come to them. Clara, my dear boy, and you, my dear girl, it is quite true. I knew Mrs. Rolt years ago when she was unmarried. This lady did me the honor to believe in me, to love me, until, very wisely, she perceived that I was not worth her devotion and we parted. But, Clement, you are wiser, better, braver than I was. Boy as you are, you have secured the prize I missed, by discovering that the only rank which elevates a woman is that which a gentle spirit bestows upon her. Lavender, my dear, come here taking her hand as she comes to him timidly. Lavender, you will be my boy's wife, so you must try to forgive my old unkindness to your mother, and learn to call me father. He draws her to him and kisses her, then Ruth takes Lavender aside. Clement to Wedderburn. Ah, uh, Dad, didn't I describe her faithfully? Isn't she sweet and good? Yes, Clement. But, Clara, what are we to say to Minnie? There. Don't talk about Minnie. I wash my hands of her and everybody else. It appears I know nothing about anyone or anything. I ought to have been buried years ago. As for my daughter, she throws a letter out of a window addressed to a gentleman. It falls into my hands, and I, having left my spectacles at home, actually ask that very gentleman to read it. Don't talk to me, anybody. Don't be sorry about me, Uncle Geoffrey. Of course I've been very fond of Clem for many years, but I'm engaged to Mr. Bream now. To Mr. Bream? Minnie, looking towards Horace. Horace, advance! And how long has this been going on? Well... It has been going backwards and forwards and all around for some months. But it has only been going on for about... Or about ten minutes. Horace to Dick. Mr. Fennel. Returning the teaspoon. I am eternally obliged to you. Your property, I believe. Oh, thank you. Looking at the spoon. Bad omen. Dented. There's a rat-tat at the door. Clement opens the door and admits Mr. Moore. Dad, here's Mr. Moore with the news. Moore, breathlessly going to Wedderburn and shaking hands with him. Oh, Mr. Wedderburn, I am pleased. I am delighted to acquaint you with the result of the private meeting of the creditors of the Barnchester Bank. To Dick, who is walking away. Ah, don't go, Mr. Fennel, please. Dick coming to Moore uneasily. Awfully busy. Back in five minutes. Moore holding his arm. No, no. The principal creditors, animated by the example of one of their number, have resolved to put Wedderburn's bank upon its legs again, with every prospect of restoring confidence, sir, and discharging its old responsibilities. Mr. Moore... And who do you think has turned the tide of Barnchester opinion in your favour, sir? Pointing to Dick. Mr. Fennel, who has formerly acquitted the bank of the liability of the amount of the late Mr. Vipont's fortune. Richard! Dick comes to Wedderburn, who takes his hand and sinks back into the armchair. Ruth comes quickly to Wedderburn. Mrs. Gilfillian, throwing her arms round Dick's neck, 
Oh, Mr. Fennel. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, what a lot of good there is in you. Still clinging to Dick. Be quiet, let me have my cry out. Dick, quietly to Clement. Clement, my boy. Aunt. Clement to Lavender. What did I always say Dick was? Mr. Fennel, you are worthy of our side. Minnie, impulsively kissing Dick. Dear Mr. Fennel. Thank you, thank you. Leading her across to Horace. I beg your pardon. Mr. Fennel, Richard, you will not, I hope, refuse to make your home with us at Barchester? We live to repay you for your sacrifice, and we shall never cease to point to you as our best friend. Thank you, Mr. Wedderburn, but I have no fancy for the searching light of the country. Notwithstanding some slight moral repairs, the seams of my coat are prematurely white. My character radically out at elbow. If you choose to continue my acquaintance, you will find me here, and if you will be seen with me abroad, why, we'll walk down Fleet Street. I share your devotion to this old city, Mr. Fennel. London has given me the most fascinating companion. London, sir. Why, London contains the largest number of patients of any civilized city in the world. And the best-hearted doctors in the world. It is always very full of Americans. Putting her hand in Horace's. And some people like Americans. Yes, yes, we'll speak well of London. Or in this overgrown tangle some flowers find strength to raise their heads. The flowers of hope and atonement. Taking Ruth's hand and holding it. To Lavender. What do you think, my child? I think, sir going towards clement whatever clement thinks always and i agree with you father london is a most beautiful garden taking dick's hand hasn't it grown dick here drawing lavender to him ah dad you can even pluck sweet lavender in the temple the end end of act three end of sweet lavender by Arthur Wing Pinero.